Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, okay. So, uh, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, we have an, a special guest again back to the channel, Marcellus Wiley, the myth, the legend himself. He's back. Uh, I think the last time we had the show, we had such a great reception. A lot of the people in our audience were totally stunned to have Marcellus on the show. So, Marcellus, we want to welcome you back again. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. And I saw that reception, and I was quite surprised, not because they don't love you or they don't love me, it was a lot of people saying, what is Marcellus doing with you? And I'm like, I'm a fan of his. Like, I'm looking at this dude, kill it. And I was like, I got to give him his flowers. So I appreciate everybody. Yeah, man, it's, it's a pleasure. Pe pe people actually lost it because we, I think after we did the interview, the day we were going to post it, we put it on the community section and we put your picture and we're like, Marcellus Wiley interview dropping today and people were like, oh my God, fire emoji. Like, oh my God, unbelievable. So I was like, <laughs> so it was, uh, I saw it. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was, it was, uh, pretty, pretty cool, man. But, um, yeah, no, for sure. We got a lot of stuff, uh, that we want to get into today and I want to get your opinion on them. The first one, yeah. of course, is the big controversy that just took place last night, uh, in the NBA. Uh, surrounding the mm -hmm. what, the playing tournament, I don't know if you saw the game between the Phoenix Suns and the Lakers, but at the end of the game, mm -hmm. the Lakers were up. I believe it was two points. Uh, they trapped uh, what is it? The Lakers, the, the the Suns trapped the Lakers while they were trying to get the in, uh, the inbound pass. Austin Reeves fumbles the ball, but LeBron calls a timeout, and now the discussion is: Did you know were the referees right to give the uh, LeBron James that call or give the Lakers that call? But before we even get into that. Have you been following the playing tournament? And what do you think about it in general? Yeah, um, I was one of those wait and see fans like everybody else. Playing tournament sounds like they put lipstick on a pig. Uh, how could this be different? It's in season. So what? You got lip gloss on the courts and painted them all shiny. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then I went to the Clippers. I think it was the Clippers Grizzlies game. And that was a play-in game. Wow. An in-season tournament game. And I was like, Yo, one, it looks amazing. Two, these dudes are playing harder. They're playing different. And we came up short in that game. But still, man, it's a whole different animal when you see it like that. And I think it started to just gain traction. Everybody started getting more invested in it, especially the players. So right. I'm a fan of it. Um, I think it's here to stay. Obviously, we're the NBA because it just gives you a little different level of excitement hmm. instead of the rigmarole of the normal season. Got you. Got you. no. For me, when it first happened, like I was confused because I didn't know how it works. I didn't. I don't know if you saw the clip right, of right. Terrence Mann. He was like, "I don't really know what's no, not Terrence Mann, Bones Highland for the Clippers." He was like, "I okay. don't really know what's going on." Damian Lillard was like, "He doesn't really know what's going on," but it looks like a lot of people are starting to get into it. And I don't know if you saw that play though. Do you think that? the Lakers got away with one or is just a normal error that a referee can make at any time and people are making too much out of it? Man, I got two hats on, man. And it's crazy because me, the coach, I'm always telling my itty bitties, I'm telling my kids all the time, those are imperfect humans who are going to make mistakes even in the most critical moments and you got to play through it. Now, the problem is there's only a couple seconds left. It's like, play through what, coach? But I always have that hat and that mindset but then at the same time, you're like, come on. It's when the brand of the purple and gold is involved, when LeBron is involved, when there's controversy and question, when there's a fumble and Austin Reeves, who's a fan favorite, you're just always saying, and you're suspicious, like, 
They looking that way to hook right. them up. They right, leaning right. that way. Like, give me any excuse to hook the Lakers and LeBron up, <laughs> and the NBA is going to take it. So I would lean that way, even though the coach in me is still like, you got to outplay them imperfect humans. Now, you know, given the fact that you're a Clipper fan and I'm a Clipper fan, you know some Laker fans are going to come at you and be like, oh, he's just a Clipper fan. That's why he's saying that. And speaking of the Clippers, <laughs> I got to ask you, because I've been suffering. I've been suffering over the last few weeks, man. I don't know what to think anymore. First of all, what were your thoughts when you first heard that the Clippers were trading for James Harden? Ah, uh, my first thoughts were, am I awake or is this really a nightmare? Because look, this is not against James Harden, but styles make fights, right? right. And this one didn't add up in terms of his style of play and what we were trying to do and what we were aspiring to do. So there's just not enough basketballs. And I know that's cliche. And on certain teams, we have seen uber amounts of talent to the point where you're like, how are they going to make it work? And they figure out a way to make it work. Right. The Miami Heat, when they had the big three, we've seen it happen before. But at the same time, this ain't Miami, this ain't Golden State. This is the Clippers who had different issues. Right. We need our offense to go through Kawhi. Right. We need to have Paul George always there as the 1A, 1B. Right. And we need those guys, more importantly, just to stay healthy when it matters most. We didn't need another ball-dominant player that is suspect on defense that's a playmaker that, when he comes in, takes away from everyone else's role and responsibility. And that's exactly what he did. So, you know, I, I just didn't want it to happen. When it did happen, right. I quickly changed my mind and said, look, we got to force this to make this work. But even executives, and I won't name names, mm. but I talked to a couple of executives, one big-time exec. Mm. He was like, that was the dumbest trade ever. And I was like, oh, really? I want to quote you, but I don't want to burn. He was like, there's no way it can work on paper, let alone in real life. And I will say it started off horribly. It's a little better now, but it doesn't look like championship contention. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. You just mentioned something that I never considered. We all know this. Obviously, you're a former NFL player. I want to ask you, because you just said that an executive, I don't know if he's related to the Clippers or not, but anyway, you said the executive said, this is a dumb move. A lot of fans were saying, I don't think this is going to work. As someone that played in the NFL, and I got to ask you, when a decision is being made that is so obvious to the public, maybe so obvious to the players on the team, how is it that top-level management in professional sports can sometimes get it so wrong when the, when the answer seems obvious? Yeah, I, uh, to break it down for you, we all know that it runs downhill. It runs downhill, and I ain't talking about it. So there's a power dynamic that starts, obviously, with the owner mm. all the way down. So owner, team president, general manager, then you start getting to the head coach and the players, and then the fans, right? All of us have invested interests, but we all have different levels of understanding, enlightenment, and power. So this is how it goes. And I've seen it happen so many ways where the fans are like, duh, because a lot of times the fans, because they're bystanders, they know details. The players sometimes don't even know the opponent's name. They'd be like, yeah, number 73. And they'd be like, man, that's Isaac Taylor. You'd be like, oh, okay. So players don't always know everything either. Fans have a lot of details. Then there's the player experience. He's a better player than him. A lot of times we're wrong because we look at it from a talent conversation they're looking at it from a team chemistry, financial cap situation, how he will plug in. So we all got different levels. Then you get to the coach who's like, yeah, he's good, but he's not coachable, et cetera. Then you get into the administration where they're like, we like this guy, we don't like this guy, but we need it signed off by our superior. Now, who's the superior in every organization? Mm -hmm. The owner. Now, the owner doesn't always dive into the details like the fans, like the players, etc. The owner likes what he likes. And some of these owners, especially, I don't even care if they, you see them courtside every time like Balmer. Hmm. They don't dive into those details. They're looking at it from a macro perspective. 
how does this make my organization better? Mm. And how does this make my organization look better? Mm. James Harden, another superstar, makes your organization look better. I don't know if he's going to make it actually better on the court. So mm. I think this is what happened. Everybody was running it up. Fans were like, no. Players are like, um. I know one player in particular, only a Clipper for real. He like, dog, I got to keep acting like I like this. And he like, I hate it. He the homie too. I can't out him. I can't out him. But boy, he be like, dog. Anyway, so it's so funny to see him at press conferences. It's like, dog, you can't make up these words. So you got all these levels. And imagine this, dog. Everybody is saying no, no, no. And then it gets to the owner and he vetoes all of that. He's like, nah, I'm going to do it. Why? I'm the one writing the checks. I'm the one who's the face of this franchise. And this new arena that we're opening next year, I need an insurance policy of superstar mm. to open that arena. I really think they ran it up the chain of command, and the top dog probably was like, yes, and everyone else said no. Wow. Wow. I think uh, your, your message came through loud and clear. Uh, it, it was um... – I'd never thought about it that way. Just also, you can just adjust your your volume a little bit, just to lower it a little bit, and then we'll uh, we'll keep it up. But it's interesting. You let me see. No, I think I think it's good here. I think it's good here. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we can always edit this, so it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah, there's there's this brings me to another conversation, and we recently we didn't have uh, Gilbert Arenas on the channel. We didn't have that, but we kind of not a back and forth. We had like a little. A back and forth, but a friendly back and forth. And basically, what has been happening is, just to go off track a little bit, there's been this conversation in in media, which is, we have athletes coming into the space independently, and you have people like myself who are fans of sports, in this case, basketball. And we have this thing where it's like, as the fan, your opinion isn't valid because you never played. I'm going back to the point you made about, uh, in this case, in the James Harden, where even the fans have more detailed that thing. So they're just saying, well, the fans, you never played, so your opinion is never valid. And some of us are like, well, yes, we never played, but if we study this thing, you follow it for 10, 20 years, my gosh, I think we have a little bit of an idea of what we're looking at. And the question I have to you is, what are your thoughts as an athlete, from a professional athlete, when you hear fans talking sports, do you think that they should have a voice or do you think that it should only be left to the journalists and the professional players? Oh, I absolutely think that everybody should have a voice. Um, there are different levels of volume for those voices mm. based on how much knowledge do you have. Mm. And let's not forget that you don't acquire knowledge just through experience. So that's why when every time an athlete says that and tries to mute a fan or someone who didn't do that experience, I just eye roll. I'm like, oh man, mm. you done fell for the okie doke because all of your knowledge didn't come from experience. If that's the case, I wouldn't know a damn thing about basketball. And last time I checked, mm. I just coached my son's team to another championship wow. back to back. So wow. on top of that. So, but point being, you know, like anything that I have seen has added to my knowledge base. The question is, how much knowledge do I have? And will I challenge someone who has more knowledge than me in that same space? Mm. I would challenge them, but I think I will come to a point whether they are right or wrong, I will also defer to them because they have knowledge and experience. Mm. But this whole, like, you can't talk because you never did it. I see Richard Sherman try to run that on Skip right. one time. And it's just like, th that's not the way to do it, dog, because... It's, it's an addition, it's accumulation of I did it, I also studied it, I also learned from those who didn't do it but studied it. Like half our coaching staff never played ball at the highest level. Wow. I can't walk around and just say, shut up, coach, shut up, coach. You don't know what you're talking about. I just think it's a, it's a circular argument that gets everyone chasing their tail. Everyone has a contribution, just different levels, different volumes. Wow, beautifully said. It's funny you brought that up because – we covered, and I saw you You talked about it as well. When I was watching that uh, back and forth or that little kind of dispute between Skip and Richard Sherman, I was confused. I think even Keyshawn Johnson was confused because he took your position, which was, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, Skip never played, but if you study something, you should be able to have an opinion on it. I was surprised right. that Richard reacted that way to Skip. I don't know if it was because of their past or maybe that's just how he is. Why do you think he had that reaction to Skip? Do you think it was because it was Skip talking or do you think that he really believes like, listen, you don't you cannot have an opinion because you never played sport? Yeah, I think it's just a bunch of alphas in the room. Mm. And there's going to be times where you just wake up one day and you got to assert yourself to make sure the others recognize that you're an alpha. Now, mm. in that role, on that show, you're going to always be reminded that Skip's the alpha, right? Even if he says fewer words than you, it's his show. Mm. Even if you beat him in argument, it's his show. Oh. And remember, since Skip's the alpha too, if you get more words than him and you beat him in arguments, he's going to find another way as an alpha will to flex. And so Richard Sherman, I don't know their daily dynamics. I don't watch it every day. Um, but I do know Keyshawn very well. And Keyshawn is a businessman. Hmm. Keyshawn has always been about his business since USC. So Keyshawn is never going to step into that emotional territory hmm. of flexing I'm an alpha. But when Keyshawn talks, you're going to know he's an alpha, right? Hmm. So I think this is what caught Shannon Sharp up a little bit is Skip is going to find ways to remind you that this is his. And Shannon got tired because Shannon was like, no, this is ours. <laughs> and that ain't how the game goes. So I think that what we saw was Richard Sherman, whenever, wherever, came there and was like, oh, Skip is tripping. Or Skip was tripping. So let me set him straight. Because he looked like he wanted that argument. He looked and sounded like somebody who was trying to start right. something. Because exactly. I was confused, too. Right. I was like, Skip didn't even raise his voice. So where are you coming from? That means he had it from somewhere else. And now it's time for us to address this in this moment. Hmm. No, that's a, uh, that's, that's a great way to break it down. It, you, you mentioned the Shannon Sharp uh, kind of dichotomy between him and Skip, right? Okay. First of all, I'm a little pissed at Shannon Sharp right now. I like Shannon Sharp. I think that he's one of the best in the business. Really? Um, <laughs> I think uh, I even found out he's, what is it, 90% Nigerian. He did a test, so I guess he's one of my brothers, so to speak. But something happened recently. You know I'm a Kobe guy. And recently he invited yeah. Trevor Ariza to, uh, uh, what is it, Club Shay Shay. So they're talking a bunch of things. So he asked Trevor Ariza, who's your favorite player of all time? Trevor Ariza says, I think Kobe's the greatest ever. And then Shannon's like, really? And then he goes, no, Mike, I'm going to remove Mike. And put him aside. Then I'm going to now start ranking. Uh, he said Kobe 1A, LeBron 1B, and then that was a thing, right? And then Shannon asked him, and then he explained it. That was it. Then yesterday I see that uh, I see a clip from ESPN First Take. And on the panel is Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, and Tim Legler. And they're playing the interaction between uh, uh, Trevor Reese and Shannon Sharp about his ranking of Kobe, Jordan, LeBron. Shannon goes on the show is like, I'm totally confused with what he was saying. I didn't even understand what he was saying. Tim Legler starts laughing at, uh, uh, what is it? Starts laughing at Trevor Reza. And Stephen A. Smith says his position was idiotic. And I'm like, <laughs> I would feel a kind of way if I came to your show, we do an interview, you disagree with me. Instead of mentioning it to me, you go on another show and then say, I don't know, I don't know what the hell Marcellus Wiley was talking about. I felt the kind of way about that. Some people thought I was overreacting. What would you think if you were in a position of Trevor Reza? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Well, a couple of things. One, Trevor Reza and I went to the same high school. Oh, wow. Obviously not the same class here. So shout out to Trevor Reza, Westchester High. Wow. Uh, and you were saying how Shannon is 90% Nigerian. Yes. Uh, I'm 61% Nigerian. So gotta be, that really? explains the muscle difference between. <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, I my. did it. I did my 23 and me, and it came back 61%. And I was like, yeah, that makes some sense. <laughs> Boy, in my day, I used to look a certain way. <laughs> but uh, look, yeah. you know what? These are the consequences of so much media and so many interdynamics at play. Like, think about it. 
Trevor Reza could have his own show. Shannon has his own show. Then he has another show with Ocho Cinco. Then he has another show with uh, Stephen A. To the point where this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get away from that traditional media mm. is because you got so many damn teammates that you don't know who to take care of and who to diss. Mm. And so one day it's Shannon Sharp by himself talking this way. Then it's Shannon Sharp with Ocho kind of making sure him and Ocho vibe. So when Ocho goes off the deep end, he ain't going to let him drown. Right. And then he's going to come back. But when he with Stephen A, if Stephen A like, yo, Ocho tripping, he's going to be like, yeah, because now you're my teammate, Stephen A. Wow. And it's just that's how it works. So, like, I used to hate it, bro. We used to have these topics. And then it's a topic about one of my co-host homies. It's their friend. Mm. And now he throwing softballs. And I'm like, is that what we doing? You're taking care of your boy. I get it. Exactly. Yeah. So if we're not going to keep it real, my option was always, let's not talk about it. Right. Because soon as I see that clip, it could be my homie. I'm be like, look, I love you, but here we go. And I'm keeping it real. So I used to see this a lot. And it happens when you see people always engaging with teammates. Here's my last point on it, and you'll get it. Mm -hmm. You ever watch game broadcast, the NFL halftime show, post-game, NBA halftime, Mm post-game? They almost never get into altercations in those environments, Hmm. especially when the player is there. Want to know why? Because everybody's taking care of each other. It's the most softball thing ever. What do you think? What do you think? And then you take those same people, put them in the studio, same topic. What do you think? They go in on the cat because they ain't right there with them. And then all of a sudden you get these personalities come out. So part of it's the personality and part of it's just the dynamic, how they set it up. I see. I see. Well, there was a there was a there was a bit of news that I saw today. And I want to you're the perfect person to get this to get your take on this. There's an article and I'm sure you touched on it on your show that came out today from front office sports that said Stephen A. Smith uh, told ESPN, I want to be the highest paid talent. Basically, what happened was he went to Clay Travis's show and he basically said that he's tired of not being the top dog in terms of an earner when you have other personalities like uh, Pat McAfee and others earning more money than him. And he said that he's reaching a position where he has put himself in a position that if the network is not willing to pay him what he believes he's worth, he is ready to take his talents and go independent. What are your thoughts on Stephen A. Smith going to ESPN and basically saying, I want to be the top dog in terms of salary? And do you think that he should remain with the network? Or if you were him, would you remain with the network or would you go independent? Yeah, I think this was smart and strategic. And I did cover it, and it will come out today. Uh, well, I don't know when you're going to put this interview, but um, <laughs> I did cover that topic. Uh, um, let me say this. It was smart and strategic because he was correct. Mm-hmm. He was actually deadly accurate in terms of he deserves the most compensation because he has the greatest production for ESPN. Um, his production in terms of quantity and quality for that network is the highest for all their talent. I agree. Now, they have entities like Monday Night Football that produces tremendous revenue, so those guys get highly paid for doing less work. But what he's saying is, in the daily scope, I am the guy that keeps the, the needle moving. Now, why was it strategic? Hmm. Stephen A. waited. He waited and waited until Pat McAfee settled in, got his show rolling, checked those ratings on television, and realized, oh, he didn't do everything he was advertised to do. Mm. So now it's time for Stephen A. Smith to start talking about his compensation. This is this is the play from ESPN. I think this is what they wanted to do. Mm. We're going to bring Pat McAfee in from the independent space. Because that's truly the only competition out there, right? He already proved that he can beat Skip Bayless with Shannon Sharp and definitely beat Skip Bayless without Shannon wow. Sharp, right? And it's not just Skip Bayless's show anymore because he's been long gone and they're still number one. So if you're ESPN, your last, 
maybe not even attempt to undermine them, but your last level of competition to figure out compensation is there's this guy on the internet destroying it hmm. named Pat McAfee. Let's see if he can translate on television linear cable because he's authentic mm -hmm. and see what that does. Now, if that will work, he becomes the cap. He becomes the one that makes the most. He's the ceiling. But it hasn't on ESPN television. The ratings aren't as high as they are for him on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So therefore, Stephen A caught wind of that, I'm certain, and was like, now let me remind them, nobody out there can mess with me. Mm -hmm. So therefore, since I am doing the most in production, give me the most in compensation. Mm, wow. And do you think do you think they'll ultimately pay him? Yeah. I think look, they're going to throw a number at him that's going to be higher than he makes now, which is reportedly 12 million right. and McAfee makes 17. I think they throw 18 to 20 at him and see where he lands. However, Stephen A has such leverage that that money right there will be enough for me. And if I'm Stephen A now, I'm taking that later. But Stephen A is building in a parallel path this independent model that can be as lucrative. Want to know why? Mm. Because these brands out there for Stephen A. Smith will throw him 10, 20. They threw Cam and Mace reportedly 30 million. Right. What would they throw Stephen A? They threw 120 at Pat McAfee. So, if Stephen A says thank you ESPN for twenty million, and I'm working a lot of hours, or I go to one of these brands and say I'm no longer splitting my dedication between ESPN and independent, I'm fully independent. I could say whatever I want, wear whatever I want, be wherever I want. What you throwing at me? ESPN throw them a three year sixty million, and then FanDuel throws them a three year. A hundred million. What do you do? Wow. So it, 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 he can't lose right now right. is the conversation. And it's because he's smart and strategic. As someone that knows the business as well as you do, if I want you to talk to an up-and-coming creator, whether they may be a former athlete or someone that's unknown, and they want to get into the business and you're throwing out these deals, Cameron got and these guys got uh, a 30 million, Pat McAfee got this million, da-da-da-da-da. What do you think an up-and-coming sports content creator needs to do to become attractive to one of these companies that could possibly sponsor them? Uh, not maybe not maybe not to the Pat McAfee level, but to get them sponsored. Yeah, I mean, the first thing you have to do is just find your voice and be you. Um, the, the the true success is going to come from you expressing yourself exactly how you want to, and that's a difficult process. But the reason why that's so important is because if you're not being who you want to be, whenever you climb up, you're not going to necessarily be excited or you're going to be inspired to go to the next level. Mm. And there's always another level. So you won't be able to own your space, own your work, own your audience in terms of product if you don't like what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be real. There's two conversations here. One is, Man, be who you are. But two, be who they want you to be mm. is what a lot of people have to figure out. What side are you taking? There are Stephen A took the side of I'm gonna be myself and I'm gonna be what they want me to be. Me, I took the side of I'm gonna be myself and I'm gonna be myself. <laughs> and I knew that would come at a haircut. I knew I wasn't gonna get that kind of money. But at the same time, I'm going to do it my way. But you know there's another way to do it where all of a sudden it's mainstream, as we call it. Oh, you playing to the audience. Oh, you're doing it for the fans first. So it's almost a conversation of the commerce versus the art. But I tell any creator, if you stay unique to who you are and express it the way you are, there's no one else like you in the world. And you will gain audience through consistency and perseverance. Mm. But will you gain Stephen A. Smith's audience, Pat McAfee's audience, etc.? That takes a conscious choice of you playing to the audience. Mm. And not everybody wants to raise their hand to do that. And that's the conversation, how big you can become. Wow. I want to piggyback off the point you made. And it's, and it's a point 
because I watch your show that you always make, which is you want to tell the truth and you want to be yourself. And if you see if the color is blue, you're going to call it blue. If it's green, you're going to call I, I follow your show. And this is something that I think you live by. You also mentioned the fact of kind of playing the role. If you want to get to that level, maybe a Stephen A. Smith and you're like, I choose to be myself. The reason I'm bringing this up is there was a, a controversy that took place in the sports world, let's say about a week or so ago. Surround, and we covered it, and I, I want to get your thoughts on it. Surrounding Malika Andrews, uh, Josh Giddy, the Oklahoma City uh, Ford, and uh, Stephen A. Smith. Now, as you know, Malika Andrews is quite vocal, and I don't want to make it a black or white thing, but for this particular case, I just want to be thorough. She's known for pointing out uh, moments when certain black athletes, they have low moments in their career. She did that with Udoka and all of these different things. But then when it came time to discuss the Josh Giddy thing, people were asking, where's Malika Andrews's voice? No one was asking her to accuse him. They were just asking her to cover the story. Days went by, she didn't cover it. Then she was forced to read, not forced, but she read a statement on TV. And then Stephen A. Smith <laughs> said, he refused to touch the story because there were still more details coming out. Then the Von Miller story breaks and they pause ESPN live on air to report what had just happened. My question is, in big media, how much freedom do these people that we see, how much freedom do they really have? And how much are we, are we to trust the words that are coming out of their mouth if it's really from their own brain or they're being told or influenced to say what they say? Oh, man, it's a great conversation. Um, well, don't fully trust them. Uh, and let's be real. Um, it's not because always they don't have good intentions. Uh, the problem is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. And there are so many people that contribute to a big mainstream show. Like I said before, when we were talking about James Harden, there's so many people that got to sign off on things that at times you don't get what you intend mm. out of a topic mm. or out of a show. So there are times where it's just like, you ain't touching this. So I, this could be a scenario. Let me give you a hypothetical. Malika or Stephen A want to talk about Josh Giddy. NBA is in negotiations with ESPN to get this deal done, right? They're like, this situation is sticky because I know he's from Australia and he's white, but he is messing with someone who could be 16 and in that state of oklahoma 16 legal mm -hmm. where he's from australia australia 16 mm -hmm. consent legal mm -hmm. and no one was cooperating with the police right. so now do you really want to be that ahead of your skis <laughs> if you're espn with your talent going on that story and it was just an inconvenience because literally they talked to NBA, which is mostly black players, good and bad about the same black players. And they continue doing that. And then it's this white player jump out and everybody like, all right, let's go. And they like, we ain't going mm -hmm. because there's too much that they didn't know or couldn't do. So it was a weird set of dynamics for that one. But Malika, she put herself in this position. Yes, she did. Not just because of how she, not just because she covered those topics, but how she, how she did it. Yeah. Like when she went to Stephen A. Smith's show and was like, Stephen, Stephen. I, I was like, ooh, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's this ridiculous. gonna come back to haunt her. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous, man. So now she's in an impossible place where she almost feels the pressure to find white players mm. and talk about them in a negative light mm. just to balance okay, out no, the narrative right. and the perception of her who wants to be that person who wants to be in that place right right no um i want to get to another topic and then we can we can go any way you you, you you want to it's a double layered one you can choose which one you want to go to first i was recently watching uh one of your shows that you published let's say three days ago or so right and during that show, you were talking about a sit-down that you had with Dan Levitard on the show, right? And apparently what yeah. had happened was you had this hour-long conversation. 
just for you to find out after the news came out about you that I want you to touch on uh, however, uh, to whatever degree you want. And then you found out that that interview disappeared. As you saw, your interview is yeah. still on our channel, live and live, live and live and clear. <laughs> the first, and I and I also saw the show before that where you addressed it head on. You're like, I'm not waiting for nobody to write my story for me. <laughs> first question I have for you is, what made you decide to go out there and address it immediately? And what are your thoughts about Dan kind of doing something that kind of blindsided you by just basically pulling the interview? Yeah, uh, what made me want to address it head on was who I am. Um, my show is called Never Shut Up. And a part of the buffet of topics that I have, I'm critical of people in terms of some of their actions. I talk about the act and not the actor. So when an act is accused of an allegations on me and they're talking about me, I can't run now. Right. Never shut up. Keep talking, right. Wiley. You talk about them when you don't like some of those actions. Well, someone is putting out there something that they didn't like, address it. So that was the first layer for me. Um, the second layer was the fact that it was just a flat out lie. Um, I don't expect everyone to read the lawsuit. <laughs> like, let's just be real. Right. It's, I think it's 47 pages. Stop. <laughs> I don't even expect in today's world for people to read a whole article. Uh, but at least finish the headline and give me a sentence or two. Um, to, my, to my defense, uh, one, I don't want anyone to say, I know Marcellus. He couldn't have done that. That's great. That's a compliment. I know. I have a perfect reputation in terms of me being 49 years old, never arrested, never in trouble, etc. Like you Google my name before, all you see is projecttransition.org. And he won man of the year three times and all this glowing stuff. Right. And I swear, I talked to you, Charles. I used to always say when I was in the league and growing up, and I know so many celebrities because I'm from L.A. and I know people. And I was like, you're really not famous until either A, you get accused of something, or B, there's a gay rumor. Mm -hmm. I used to always say that. It's like, it seemed like every single person will always get attacked. And I was like, oh, it's because they're famous. Whether they did it or not, I just always saw that seeming as a common denominator. Mm -hmm. But the truest reason I addressed it is because it was a flat-out lie. Um, there are three defendants. And the two she really wants and is using me to get to them. Mm. The defendants are Columbia University and the Columbia University trustees. Mm. And then she's using me to get to them because it's the legal shakedown. It's a big bank scenario. I understand that. But just to keep it high view, because I detailed this on my show. Um, if anybody wants to know particulars, they can go there right. and I'll keep you posted. Go there. Yes. A woman who I never had intercourse with, sexual intercourse with, who suffered from mental health issues, as I read, um, is in pursuit of Columbia University and a settlement, basically. That's how the game goes right now. I won't lie to you guys. Mm. I'm the most notable alumni in the athletic arena, and it's a legal shakedown. Okay. That's why you never heard of this in 30 years. Mm. Um, I've had four or five different careers if it were about me. It's not about me. Right, exactly. It's about Columbia University right. and the fact that they've been settling some lawsuits in different arenas, and this seemed like a prime opportunity to go to them. Now, my biggest problem with this is, one, my name is now not looked at in the same positive light, perfect light it was before, and my son is my namesake. Mm. My son has my same name, and she brought this lie to his Google search going forward. But also the biggest problem is mm, people don't believe her. And worse, now people won't believe real victims. And it's crazy because when you look at this and you read through it, you're like, that, that is impossible for that to occur, what she's alleging, impossible. Not even because it's me. No human man could do what she said if anybody would ever take the time to read through it. No one will. But that's not the game plan. Our game plan is to try and get Columbia in a shakedown and using me. So I have now turned it into a positive. I am not worried about me clearing my name. 
my circle, not one thing has been affected. I've not lost one brand, one sponsorship, wow. one level of support from any of my friends. But you know who has lost in this conversation? And all those other names that came out, whether they're guilty or innocent, I'm talking for me, real victims. Mm -hmm. So I started with my foundation, a program for real victims and falsely accused because it hijacks so many people. I'll leave you with this, big dog. Michael Earl off season before the video came out. Right. They were dragging his name. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, wow, whole different animal. So I've hired a lawyer, Sean Holly, who's the same lawyer that represented Trevor Bauer, and everybody was dragging him for a year or two. And then they were like, oh, exonerated. She lied. So not worried about the accusations towards me, um, but I am worried about where we are as a culture, as a society, where we allow these situations to occur, especially to somebody who's never stepped in it in 30 years. Right. Wow. Wow. Wonderfully said. And to follow up, you spoke about the Dan Lebetard aspect of it, of how he or how they removed the interview that you had and you were blindsided uh, by it based off of what you said on the show. What did you think about that? And what does it make you think about relationships in general in sports media? Yeah, so what I'm trying to do here on this show, including even when I'm the topic, <laughs> as we just talked about, is truly change how we communicate. I am tired of the dialogue that comes with disrespect. I'm tired of the dialogue that ends up because we differ we must disrespect. Um, I saw too much of that in the media I was a part of. So this is more of me trying to reset public discourse. That's why I talked about my situation. That's why I talk about any situation, because it's okay to talk about it. All these things now, we got to go to the corner of the room and whisper, hmm. hey, you hear what happened to Marcellus? You hear what they said about Marcellus? And I'm like, dog, nah. Y'all ain't going to be killing these athletes and talking about whoever y'all want to when you choose to. But when it's about you or if it's something that is taboo, we start whispering. I'm a grown man who got to go into a room and whisper to somebody else to talk about something that's real. Hmm. And I hate that. So when Levitard and I did the interview a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, it was an amazing interview. Hour and a half, two hours. Um, and it was up. And I wanted to see it after these accusations and it was down. So I do a topic on it on my show while also calling Dan Levitard and talking to Dan Levitard, text him, he called me back and he's like, I didn't know, I had no idea. But then I was told, hey, we're gonna take this down because we have other things that we're dealing with as well. I gotta leave it at that because I gotta protect Dan. But long story short, it wasn't all about me. But after that conversation, coincidentally or not, they put it back up because Dan values our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I valued our relationship as well because I told him, hey, Dan, if you got other things you're dealing with on top of this, leave it down, dog. I know I'm cool with you. Wow. So I don't need you to tell the world we're cool. But he chose to do it his way. But I'm going to live these things out for the public to see, including my allegations, because we getting trapped. We can't even be real. You know how many people I know have hit me up, talk, called me, text me, and be like, that's some BS, hmm. what they saying about you. But they will never go on air and say the same thing. Hmm. You know how many times when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling or Black Lives Matter was going on and I had my objection to the way that they were doing those things, people would hit me up. That's right, Wiley. Damn right. And then I would watch them on their own platforms, wouldn't say a word. And I was like, my kids ain't living in that world. And y'all trying to, your silence is complicity. So I'm just different, man. I'm built to handle all this stuff. I'm built to people not liking me from hello. I'm from Compton. I'm, I get it. You don't have to always believe in me. But watch me. Watch what I do. I will change all minds because I don't do stuff like that. And I don't play narrow-minded games. Mm. We got to speak on it. Never shut up. Right. Well said. Now, I want to ask you this. 
what would be your advice? Because this is a very serious topic where people can be, frankly, as you said, turn into victims. You may have, I mean, you may not, you may not think anything of it. And next thing you know, down the line, some, somebody pulls a fast one on you. What would you say to young men, athletes coming up mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how they should conduct themselves so that in the future, they don't find themselves in situations like this? Because I know, I know what I know of you, you're a family man. I'm a family man. You see, you are in love with your family. I looked at your Instagram as all you post about your family, your kids and the, the, the work, the work that you do, which is, which is beautiful because I admire that because that's what I want uh, as well. Like I, I like that structure. Um, so what would you say to young athletes coming up about things they can do to avoid certain traps and people looking to ensnare them in certain situations, uh, you know, in their career, in their careers? Yeah, um, I don't have the perfect advice, obviously, because it caught me 30 years later. Um, But I will say this. I remember growing up watching Scarface, and I remember him at the end scene when he had like 900 security guards and 2,000 guns and all that stuff, and they still took him out, right? Mm. Because if somebody wants to get you, they're going to put up a good fight to get you if they don't get you all the way right so you can say anything in this world and whether it's real or not it's gonna it's gonna get to you at least Mm. so i always keep that in the back of my head and i kept in the back of my head through this experience and all of them this is what i would say because you go through these experiences you're messing around you're hanging out whatever it may be you're vulnerable and in our world uh it's slanted towards a victim and typically the victim is a woman Mm. so that story that was told uh or that could be told about your encounter you got to make sure that it doesn't sound like something that could go down the wrong way in my situation just to be particular to use me as the exhibit she had a boyfriend and i knew her having a boyfriend i shouldn't have messed with her but the onus is really on her to me because I'm like, that's your boyfriend. That ain't my boyfriend. You need to be loyal to him. I ain't got to be loyal to him. But he didn't like me, and it was just a lot. So somehow, some way, like on every campus, you can't do nothing without somebody finding out. Right. And they found out, and she had to flip the story because ain't no way you're going to say on your boyfriend you messing with one of the guys he doesn't like, Marcellus Wiley. Mm. So there's no perfect way. I wish I knew it. Mm. Uh, this happened a lot more than it should um there and because there are real victims i work with the rape foundation for the last six years with my foundation so you know i whew, real victims real situations you can hear it you can read it you're like oh my goodness that ain't this this is a whole different animal and because of these things it takes away from those real ones who need to be heard who voices need to be amplified it just gives more it just gives more opportunity for people to do things like this to the future athlete the future success story who has to deal with it but bruh i wish i wish i could give you the perfect advice but man look it could be something above board and I've seen this happen because I was a player rep and I worked with the FBI when I was an NFL player rep. Wow. It could be something that's above board, all to the good. And you're like, what did they say? And you're going to have to fight through it if they want to take it all the way, all the way to that degree. Speaking of um, controversies recently, I want to touch on one that's quite lighthearted, but also funny. But then some people took it seriously. I don't know if you know, I'm sure you do. There was this thing that took place between the Lakers, LeBron James, and the uh, Houston Rockets head coach, Ime Odoka. They had a back and forth, <laughs> but they were just talking, really. Uh, then the referee walks over, and he hits both of them with a tech. I'm not sure. I mean, we saw what they said, but I, I, he hit both of them with a tech. He throws Ime Odoka out of the game, and LeBron gets a technical foul. First question is, what are your thoughts on that exchange between LeBron and Ime Odoka? And number two, do you think that the referees are coming down with a heavy hand all too often with some of their officiating in the NBA? Yeah, that was a tough situation because when you're playing sports, and the way I broke it down is 
There's kids talk like, you know, I got all my itty bitties, my little ones. I don't curse in front of my kids, even though in real life I do curse, <laughs> but I never curse in front of kids. Right. right. So there's kids talk and there's adult talk. When we hang and I'm a curse. You can be like, yeah, Wally. I'm like, yeah, I'm a curse. But when you are playing ball, there's ball talk. Mm. And M.A. M.A. knows he was talking in ball talk. And LeBron knows that M.A. was talking in ball talk. Right. But the referees are there to protect the environment. Because it's big business. You know, the CEO of a company is courtside with his little eight-year-old son who's hearing M.A. use the B word loosely. And LeBron is like, don't use that word loosely around me or towards me. And M.A. like, what? Like, dog, not only do you know what I'm saying, but you play ball and this is how we talk. Right. But LeBron is a brand on top of a baller. And LeBron also trying to, you know, trying to make sure that I'm the king of all courts in all situations. Right. And Ime like, dog, not here, not now. Mm -hmm. And a team that he coaches with, Dylan Brooks, exactly. <laughs> a team that he coaches that he's trying to make tougher, he ain't trying to back down back to down, no right. king talk. So I think, Le yeah, LeBron was looking for that moment to kind of like grandstand and gaslight it. And Ime wasn't having it, even at the sacrifice of getting kicked out the game. Wow, I, I thought I thought it was fair play. I saw uh, um, Keyshawn Johnson. He talked about it, and he's like, "I played in the NFL. Guys threw these words up and down the field all day long. Like it was." He said, "He said his only thing was, as long as you don't touch me. That was his only thing. If if you don't touch me, you can say whatever the heck you want to say, as long as you're not physical with me." Do you think that because as someone that's watched games, watch basketball games, do you think that that's just a general part of? A sports where guys are going to talk trash and, you know, get riled up. Isn't that a normal thing in sports? Yeah, it's called ball talk. Yeah, it, it, dog. I mean, I, one, when I played, everything was okay. Like, we said it all. And there's some words now that you can't use, that, like the F word. We used the F, F word before. We don't use that one no more because you're like, you're going to get in a hell of trouble if you use the F word. Out wow. there. And I ain't talking about F-U-C-K. I'm talking about A-G. Right. Ah. So I'm like, you can't say that one. Kobe, Kobe got caught with that one before. And yes, he they, did. They, you can't you can say the N word before you say the F word. I'm just letting y'all know. Crazy. But we said it all. <laughs> and that's to the point, Charles, that I actually my tickets to the Clippers games are behind the visitors bench. Because, one, I want to see new guys every time I go. Mm. I ain't going to sit behind the Clippers. And I'm like, I already seen them last game, right? I see them every game. But I sit behind the opposing team. And, boy, when they get in them huddles or it's the free throw line, oh, it is gangster. They do not let that go on the broadcast for everybody to hear. Mm. But when they sit there and they come in, imagine after you get called for a foul and you didn't think it happened and you're going to your teammates and your coach to explain it. Let's just say that ain't G-rated. They, mm. they in there going at it, and mm. you can hear it if you're right there. So in this situation, um, Keyshawn's right. LeBron knows, but LeBron uses these moments at times to be like, yeah, see, uh, I am the biggest. I'm, I'm the baddest, and y'all listen to me. Yeah, or he kind of grandstands on it at a time. This is just one of those moments he did it. I agree with you. I agree with you. I want, I want to uh, touch on this thing you just brought up, the Clippers. My favorite player, Kawhi Leonard. As I was saying at the beginning of the show, the Clippers for like a two-week period, I've been, I mean, I was so pissed off with this. I, I couldn't believe it with that trade. And you know that they're, <laughs> they're in their final year of this Kawhi Leonard, Paul George experiment. If you are the owner of this team, number one, what's the expectation for this year? Do they have to figure it out? And if they don't, do you think they should just blow up this entire thing? No, if I'm the owner being realistic and it's going to be tough for him to stay in this place, I want to see them finish the season mm -hmm. healthy and in contention. That's all I want to mm -hmm. see. Like they don't break down and that they actually at full strength can contend. And then I'm happy. I'm, re I'm extending them. Mm -hmm. But if they break down – or they don't contend. I gotta, I gotta remix the formula. Right. Simple as that. And I think that's why James Harden is there, maybe as a bridge to that remix mm -hmm. if things go a different direction. So James Harden was brought in 
prematurely just in case things don't work out with Kawhi and PG. So it's just interesting. All three of those guys have had their playoff issues despite the championships that Kawhi have won. Injuries, like they've all either been injured or didn't fully produce when you needed them most. And Kawhi's like, yeah, because I'm usually hurt. So I'm on Balmer, simple. Can we have a real contending team that can stay healthy? If not, enough's enough. How many mulligans do you get? It's a wrap. Time to move on. Exactly. I want to get back to your sport, uh, football, and there are a few things I want to touch on. And this is going to be a little bit complicated. As you guys, I mean, as you're aware, there's this thing of the old school versus the new school, which is people, for instance, in basketball, you have guys like Charles Barkley. Uh, and these guys talking about, oh, these guys today, this is sucks, that sucks. You have some of these older guys comparing, oh, the NBA is too soft right now. Uh, all they do is shoot threes and layups. There was recently some comments from Tom Brady who criticized the current product in terms of the NFL game that he's seeing. And he said there's this, that, that there's just a bunch of lousy football being played. As a former mm-hmm. NFL player, what did you think of Tom Brady saying that about this current NFL? Yeah, it's interesting because Tom Brady's been saying that. Mm. And now since he's removed from the game, um, it hits different than when he was playing mm. and saying that this era of football is different, not as good. I disagree with him. Mm. And I think it's because we've always been conditioned to look at sports as athleticism and like fundamentals like we always look at it like either they're great as an athlete or they're crafty and they have great fundamentals and that's why they are good athletes Mm. but rare breed where you see both and you respect it so this era of football is the most athletic era we've ever seen Mm. So what usually gets robbed is somebody from the old school would be like, yeah, but you're not as fundamentally sound. And you're like, well, how am I this good if I ain't got good fundamentals? Athleticism enough is not good enough. It's like it's almost a a dumb argument. Like, (laughs) yo, I'm hiding those fundamentals underneath all this damn talent that you keep seeing. But trust me, I'm still fundamentally sound or I wouldn't be able to perform day in and day out. Right? Like, oh, your house is beautiful, but it has no foundation. What? Like, it wouldn't be a house. You wouldn't even see it. It'd be gone. So it would be a house. So I laugh when I hear it. But what they're really trying to say is, and this is tough, we weren't as athletic as we thought we were. We don't look as good as we thought we did back then. Because you want to know. And no one wants to admit that. So we, we take shots at the next. But, hey, Charles. Look at 1970s football and look at 1990s Dallas Cowboy 49ers. You're looking at it like them dudes in the 70s don't stand a chance. Well, now let's look at it. 2000, early 2000s, Patriots dynasty football in 2023. When we get away from this era and look back, I look at my era, I'm like, our shoulder pads were this big. We look like we moving slower. We all like our backs. Now look at these cats. They like, <laughs> like, it's just we don't want to admit that the game has moved on, evolved. That's how I think about it. I want to get you out of here on two questions. I'll ask you the the, the easier one first and then the, the, the more uh, technical one uh, second. The easier one is, as a former athlete, who – who are the athletes that are on your Mount Rushmore in terms of the most important athletes to sports in your mind? It could be in boxing. It could be in the NFL. It could be in baseball. It could be whatever, you know, whatever sport. It doesn't matter. And to me, I'm one of those people that I'm a Jordan guy. I like all of these guys. So when they say today players are better, faster, strong, and all of this stuff, I also look at the fact that today these guys have low management. Today, these guys have, they can travel, you know, flights and they have private jets and all of these different stuff that they fly with. And they're still breaking down. And those guys in the past never had all of those luxuries and they were still (laughs) able to perform at a high level. So when we look at it in terms of errors being better, you brought it up in in football. Is that really a thing? So you can give me your thoughts on the Mount Rushmore first and then we can close out with that one. 
Oh, that's good, man. Uh, all right, my Mount Rushmore um, is Barry Sanders, Deion Sanders, Michael Jordan, okay, and Floyd Mayweather. You know what's funny? Now, sorry to that, cut you off. You, huh, let's go. You said LeBron yeah. is better than than Jordan, and I, I didn't even hear you mention his name. Just wanted to point that out. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, because you said most important. Ah, okay. Right? Okay. And so I try to say important. So I'm trying to say important is how good they were, but also whew, how much respect they commanded in ways not only on the court, on the field, but just in society at large. Let me give it to you. So Barry Sanders is so insane at running back that we have never seen that before and would never see it again. Like, I, I'm saying it. Barry Sanders will go down in history of civilization as the best running back ever. That dude could just do stuff. His hips were insane. Okay, so then you go to Dion, and as great as we've seen other cornerbacks look at times, right? We've had our uh, Revis Island, right? We've had our Champ Bailey and all that. Dion, a whole different animal, right? So I go there, and then I go with Floyd Mayweather, not only because of his perfection, and everyone's going to say, well, he picked his opponent. His perfection led to him capitalizing like no other boxer ever has. Even if you say he ain't the best boxer, that makes him even better. Because right. he was like, he ain't even the best, and he got the most. Mm -hmm. That's next level. Mm -hmm. All right, and the last one is Michael Jordan. Why did I put him over LeBron? Simple. As much as I have some LeBron 17s and some shoes up there, I ain't got the full sweatsuit. I don't throw it on with the suit. I don't walk around sometimes and stick my tongue out. Like, you know, like, 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 like Jordan. Jordan played a psych job on our culture, right. man. And it, it, it's just, it is. I'm not going to argue that I think LeBron's the best basketball player ever. But that doesn't mean in the Mount Rushmore of sports icons that you're more important important mm. than somebody got else you. and since you said important i gotta go with got michael you. jordan got you and yeah. to, to the last question do you think that this thing is really real when we say athletes today are better like for instance if we're looking at P uh, nba players in the 90s versus players today are we really sure that players today are better faster more athletic i mean jordan then these guys were pretty athletic then they were still pretty fast do you think that's a real thing in the NBA? Oh, absolutely. It's a real wow. thing. But people looking at they looking at it from the wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. They're looking at the wrong things. Don't measure Michael Jordan, uh, Jesse Owens, Muhammad Ali, and then look at it in LeBron and say, see, they're all the same. That's not what we're talking about, athlete. Mm -hmm. The meat, the middle, the, the, the bell curve, the 80% of a team, mm -hmm. not, not the meat of the team, number three through eight, in basketball, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When you start to look at what the backups look like, now we're talking about athleticism. Peak for peak, you see incremental differences. You got to squint if not they're right. the same. But then all the rest of the guys that fill up that roster, oh, man, it's a whole different animal. So here's why people don't understand that. It's because back in the days, because they didn't have options, like we do now, you saw guys fight through things that they won't fight through now, right. right? I'm more athletic than you, but I'm also more entitled than you because I got more options than you. Hmm. It's the same thing. Like I grew up, my mama and daddy said, put that down. It is immediately dropped. <laughs> right now, I tell my kids, put that down. They say, daddy, why? <laughs> daddy, but, but it's my toy. Daddy, why do I put it? And I'm like, Dog, they know they got options. Right. They know that I. it's a whole different animal, different era. So what to look at is the meat of a team is more athletic than it's ever been. And what to look at is these guys right now are not fighting through the same obstacles that they had to back then. Mm. So that's why it's better now on all levels, athleticism and the fact that they have options to decide their path.
I I know I know some I know some of our viewers are gonna be like, man, I disagree. I, we we disagree with we disagree with Marcellus on this one, man. Trust me, a lot, a lot of the viewers are gonna disagree. Last thing though, and I want to ask you, just to kind of push back a little bit. I'm one mm -hmm. of those people that believes that the generations that came before us are tougher, like fathers, grandfathers. I believe that they are tougher than the generation today. I've heard. Some people complain about their kids. Like, all they do is whine. You whine, you whine, you whine, you whine, you whine, you whine. You're so sorry. Everything, oh, my God, I'm tired. Oh, my God, I need a rest. Like, we, we hear this so much. So as someone looking at it from that vantage point, how do you still convince them that, no, these guys today are still tougher, better, faster, whatever, stronger than the generations before them? Yeah, I think the generations before us, because they have fewer things to deal with, like you're dealing with a child, uh, their generation, they didn't even have a television. And then when they had the television, they only had a couple channels and not everyone had a TV, right? So tougher to that generation is when I asked my daddy something, he looked me in the eye and he told me no and I listened and that was it. <laughs> well, you ain't have much else to do, damn it. So daddy did look tougher. Now, what's tough, tougher, what's tough is there's so many more fires to put out. And if you're going to raise your child the right way, you got to put all those fires out. Mm. So what's tougher to a fireman who's like grab the hose and just spray this one building or you got this brush fryer over here in this generation where it's fire everywhere. Mm, mm, and that's what's tougher I about now that doesn't get respected. Like back then, they only had one thing to put out, maybe two. And I just think that this world keeps spinning. We keep evolving. There are going to be more and more things on our plate. And we don't give it the full respect until after the fact. And then we look back and say, oh, that was tough. Uh, yeah, raise a kid now with iPads. And then you've got the iPad, but what can they watch on the iPad? Mm. And is it foolproof? Mm. And do they also go to school? Mm. And parents are around their kids more than ever. So the kids are older in their conversations and ever and they talking about they talking about the jewish palestine mm. conflict and they're eight and you're like what yeah i didn't know Crazy. what the word jewish was until i was 20. different world man right. different animal right. absolutely well marcellus man we want to thank you so much for coming on the show for taking out time in your busy schedule uh, to be with us here today. Our audience is going to gobble up all of this content. They really love uh, this combination <laughs> here. We absolutely love it because you're cool as hell and you're like a real person, which is absolutely refreshing. Marco and I absolutely love it. Uh, so we want to thank you yeah. again for coming on the show. We cannot look forward, we cannot wait, excuse me, to have you again on the show, hopefully the beginning of the new year after everybody's enjoyed themselves and had a great uh, Christmas and new year. So thank you so much, man, for being a part of this show here today. And we cannot wait to have you on uh, in the future. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, much love, big dog. You keep killing it. I'll keep watching, man, and have the best of holidays. And to your fans, to your support, to your audience, man, I respect y'all and appreciate y'all rocking with me, and especially with Charles, because he's out here killing it. Keep it going. And shout out to Marco. Y'all uh, <laughs> make sure y'all go subscribe to Marcellus Wiley's channel after this ASAP, man. That's the dude right there. That's the dude. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.